When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sign up with my bookie and use our promo code GATERS to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC for the Monday edition of Gators Breakdown. A couple days after, Florida gets beat by Kentucky 20-13. to Joining me for this episode is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site. Readinreaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Will, I just kind of, I, I was thinking kind of just right before we hit record here. I think uh, you go back to last year's LSU game. This is uh, this is about where I'd put the fan base. And uh, when you, when you want to compare reactions and how everybody's feeling, I think this might be worse than that LSU game last year. Um, now I know there's a, there, people are comparing losses and, and the way they feel, but a couple of days later, this one still stings. It still hurts Gator Nation. At least last year, you had the SEC championship game to look forward to, get ready for the week after you lose to LSU, and you still had Pitts and Trask and Tony. You felt you still may have a sliver of a chance. Uh, you had that coming up the very next week. This one, okay, so I knew we'd, we'd, we'd still want it a little bit because, okay, nobody's getting excited for Vanderbilt. You're coming off of a loss to Kentucky. This one's going to sting and hurt for a little while, and uh, it's going to be the, the the main topic everybody's discussing right now because you don't have that next game really to to. I mean, it's Vanderbilt. You you know you're going to roll out there and you're going to go beat them, and so it stings and it's going to stay for a little while. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is, and and I think we've all been sort of remiss in doing this. Congratulations to Kentucky, right? I mean, Kentucky yeah. went out there and Florida gave them some things, but Kentucky went out and beat Florida, and that that's it beat Florida in Lexington, something that hasn't been done since what, like the Reagan administration. And yeah. so, you know, I, th- those players have accomplished something that nobody else at Kentucky has. I think we need to say congratulations and need to tip our cap to them. And now we'll get to the stuff that that. <laughs> that really concerns people, which is the Florida part. Yeah, this one hurts. I mean, th- this is one where you're sitting there going, national title, done. SEC title, almost assuredly done. SEC East title, almost assuredly done. And confidence in direction of the program, really, really shaky ground when you look at the uh, the conservative game plan, the penalties, all the different mistakes, the things that everybody said were going to get cleaned up after the Alabama game, and we hoped would get cleaned up after the Alabama game, just got exacerbated in this game, right? I mean, you know, they talked 
extensively. We all talked extensively after that Alabama game that if all we do is eliminate the mistakes, there's an opportunity for Florida to beat the Tide. Well, it turns out when you double the mistakes, then you can't mm-hmm. even beat Kentucky. And and that's, I think, where people come from. I mean, look, I mean, the game against LSU was terrible, but if Marco Wilson doesn't throw that shoe, chances are Florida pulls that one out. So there is a scapegoat. The other thing is, is that the Florida defense didn't stop anybody all year. And let's be honest, they weren't stopping Alabama in the SEC championship game last year either. They proved that. And so, yeah, had they won that LSU game, there was a shot to win the SEC title because you always have a shot once you get in the game. But I think Alabama was favored. I think the yeah. same outcome probably happens. And and you look at it and you're disappointed, but if you beat LSU, you, you the season feels a little bit differently. But but still, um, I, I think I think every eventually you get over that. Plus, Todd Grantham's defense gave up like 37 points in that game, and so again there was a scapegoat, not just Marco Wilson, but also Todd Grantham. This one, the offensive coach for Florida is Dan Mullen. He is the offensive coordinator for the team. They scored 13 points, and so you look at it and you go, last year the defense was a sieve, and the offense was was extraordinarily efficient. This year the offense in the Kentucky game let them down, and quite honestly in the first quarter against Alabama let them down as well. And so you start looking at that and saying, you know, is is there are there systematic problems? with the way Florida's going through this. You, the recruiting stuff all comes up again. I know we're going to talk about Dave Wonderlich's article about sort of margin for error at some point along the way here. And so um, you start factoring all those things together. Yes, yeah, depressing, right? I mean, it's depressing in week five of the season to basically have the same goals as South Carolina. And that's, you know, that's not the Gator standard, certainly, and and is something that uh, rubs many people the wrong way, including Dan Mullen, obviously, with uh, with with the way he's responded to the questions that he's gotten after the game. Yeah, there you go. We'll give you a nice little preview there. We will talk big picture of this season, before, you know, as, as a lot of the meat of this episode here. Where does Florida go from here uh, after losing to Kentucky? And then we will get into Dan Mullen's press conference today, one he was not too pleased uh, with me there. Uh, so I think if he could shot lasers through the computer screen, Will, he would, he would have done so uh, in the way that looked there. Um, so we'll get into the plenty of discussion there about what uh, Dan Mullen had to say today on Emory's downfield throwing. Um, or lack of what he said about Emory's downfield throwing uh, and um, you know, some other aspects to the, the drive before halftime. He went into some more detail about that as well. So we'll rehash that just a bit. Uh, and then uh, Will did tease Dave Wunderlich's uh, margin for error article that came out this morning on Gator Country. Uh, really, really good uh, look at the kind of status of the program uh, right now. So, all right, let's get into it, Will. Big picture, big picture of the season right now. Well, we can do big picture of the program uh, a little bit. You know, we'll, we'll wait on that maybe after the season. We'll see what the season holds. It kind of blends in a little bit with the big picture of this season because, look, year four, slim chance at an SEC championship. Slim chance at the SEC East. Uh, but, of course, we'll take a look at the rest of the season. Look, I, Will, I mean, n- none of us had, you know, f- realistically, Florida going on to win a national championship this year. We knew that. Uh, we said plenty – this year, at least for me, you know, it was all that stuff wasn't likely, but I wanted to feel great about this team at the end of the season, heading into 2022 with some higher expectations. That's still possible. That's still there. Uh, you know, that we were conceding anything this year, but we just kind of knew the likely outcome. And then you play Bama well again this year for the second time uh, in, a, in just a few games, and you're feeling pretty high uh, for the direction of this season, only for it to come crashing down a couple weeks later in a bad looking loss versus Kentucky. Uh, so, well, I think initially, first thought is more than likely this is, will be the first season without some form of progress from Dan Mullen. 
Um, the best right now, a 10-2 regular season, that would include a huge win over Georgia with the way the season looks right now. You know, but 10-2, and two, we've, already, we've seen that already. I'll gladly take it right now. Uh, as I said, that would include a victory of a really good Georgia team. And of course, you'd feel pretty good about that, but that's not likely. Look, we, like I said, 2018, 10-win season. 2019, 11-win season. 2020, you beat Georgia, you go to Atlanta. It's all progress, some form of progress every year since Dan Mullen's been head coach. And what are we pointing to right now uh, for, 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 uh, for, for 2021 the rest of this season? So right now, not necessarily uh, record's going to play a part, but it's about goals as well uh, when you start looking at progress. And that's where you kind of have to go now. So what does it mean for 2021? Well, I guess the, the, the only form of progress may be bouncing back and not snowballing like the end of last year did. You can't let this one turn, turn in. Look, you're not losing to Vanderbilt, but – we know LSU, Georgia's coming up, some tough games coming up after that. Uh, but that beats some progress toward compared to the end of last year. But, look, you're only in that position because of what transpired this past Saturday. <laughs> so and needing to bounce back, you're only in that position because of what happened versus Kentucky. So what really is about going out there, getting better every week. I know that's cliche right now, but it really is the honest truth for this Florida team. They have to go out there and get better. We have to be able to point to uh, look a ten and two finish still there. You end up at Atlanta. That's not likely. So what can you point to? It's still the ending of the season, a building block for next season. That certainly doesn't include go going to lose more games. Uh, look, if this if this team is making tangible progress from the coaching staff uh, and players, uh, then, then Florida should really only lose one more game from here on out. That's the game against Georgia in Jacksonville. So you know. Progress, if you want to use that word, I think you can throw that in there too. Uh, I, I don't know what that looks like in 2021 right now because of what you did before that and what your goals were uh, in 2021 look very slim right now. Uh, but, Will, it's uh, tough sledding right now about uh, to what to look forward to the rest of the year and just, just basically falling back on this team really just got to get better and enjoy the ride along the way. Yeah, so I'm going to try to be as fair as I can to to Mullen. I think multiple times, if you go back and listen to us during the offseason, we even called this a rebuilding year. And, yeah. you know, we, we called it that because of the guys they were missing on the offensive side of the ball um, from, from last year's team. We called it that because, you know, I don't think either one of us had a whole lot of confidence that Todd Grantham was going to turn the defense around, at least not in a huge way. And I still think that's the case if you look at the overall statistics, even though the defense played well against Kentucky. Um, and, and so the question then is, what are you trying to get out of the year? Right. And, and yeah. I think you can still get some of the things that you wanted to get out of the year. Obviously, you want to win the SEC. You want to win the East. You want to get to the playoff. But that's not something that a team like Florida at this point. I don't think that was a realistic expectation coming in. And, you know, we sort of talked earlier in the year. One of the things you didn't want to see was one of these letdown games where you should have won the game and you weren't able to do it. So that's the first thing is I think you hope you don't see that the rest of the year, that they're able to consistently get up, consistently play well, consistently build to something. The other thing that I think you need to see is that, you know, at some point you got to figure out what you have with all the players you've got on the field, which means you got to take risks. You got to throw downfield. You got to get guys like Demarcus Bowman, Lorenzo Lingard in the game. You got to get 
different offensive linemen who are younger, who aren't going to be here next or who are going to be here next year into the games. Same thing with wide receivers, same thing with defensive backs, all that sort of stuff. You got to figure out what you've got for 2022 and bring those guys along. Obviously they have to earn their spots at the same time. I think you give them, if, if the tie goes to the young end at this point, right. That if, if the younger player (laughs) is, is, is a a tie in practice, I think that guy's got to be in the game. Excuse me. And then I think the other thing is, is Dan Mullen did this to himself because last year he basically told us the Cotton Bowl doesn't matter. The, 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 that you make one of those January, you know, the, the January, the, the big bowl games that is not the playoff and it doesn't matter because he didn't care. And so I don't know why we should care at this point in terms of yeah. whether the, whether the program's going to make that. I mean, he, he stated that that's a, that's a practice, right? And, and I guess we care from the standpoint of it's a, it's another opportunity for the team to get better. You have all the bowl practices, obviously you want to make a bowl, you want to improve, but, well, but here's complete. the thing. B- building to that is important, though. Maybe the game itself is not, but for his that you know, that bonus at the end of the season that he gets for that New Year's Six game, you know, I mean, I hate to say that's what comes into play. I hope, hope, I hope that's not his motivation uh, to to get farther to that point. But yeah, to, uh, along the way, that that comes into play. My my point is is that the attitude that you have yeah. needs to be reflected in the team, and the attitude that they had in the Cotton Bowl last year is is one that basically conditions the fans to say okay playoff or bust you've indicated that this is that Mm. this is not good enough for the program you've indicated that this is essentially a glorified practice so if that's the case then something better should be the expectation and i think at least in my mind that's a big part of why why this is so upsetting is because you know if you make another new year's six bowl game so what you didn't care about it last year yeah, and that and that's worrisome. I mean, okay, so so Florida does go ten two nine and three. Um, more than likely, that's going to be, well. Florida ends up ten and two with, with this crazy, wacky college football season. Who knows? But you know, I, you know, it's not happening. Nine and three. You know, you, you you okay? Probably a New Year's New Year's Six game there. Uh, but yeah, so are we supposed to get excited for that? Uh, as you said, after last year, will are we are we supposed to be ever? Are we supposed to buy tickets for that game and go? If, you told us last year it didn't really matter. Now, granted, 2020 was different. We know I, they were ready to get the season over with. But, okay, you don't you, you don't say the things you did about that game after the fact and then expect us to care a year later. I get, you know, I get wanting the season over. I get you didn't have your players. Okay, all, all that. We, we, we know that. But uh, to your point there, Will, yeah, you know, trying to relate that to what the expectation is and what we should – I guess hope for this program. Uh, yeah, the, the New Year Six uh, is right now. We'll take it because it means a good season the rest of the way. But at that point, looking at that particular game, you know who who knows. But we'll yeah. I mean, let's look at it here. Looking at the schedule, we know right here after Kentucky, Vanderbilt this week, LSU in a couple weeks, Georgia, South Carolina, Sanford, Missouri, Florida State. I mean, nine and three. I mean, look, ten and two has to be the goal. The attainable goal, nine nine and three, realistic. We uh, we as a fan base can talk about that. Uh, you know, I, I hope Dan Mullet. I hope the team thinks ten and two when this season's uh, when this season's over with. Uh, but right now, looking at it, nine and three. The you know the the realistic goal, of course. Um, but maybe will even even about it. Kind of going to your point, looking good in the process uh, and, and figuring out things along the way. Of course, winning is better than losing. But 
after the early disappointment of this season, how it looks will, will be a huge factor as well. And that's on both sides of the ball. You know, what whatever you do with defensive coordinator at the end of this year, whatever you're trying to do at quarterback when you go to 2022 and the, some of the talent you lose at, at running back and maybe get some of the young guys involved there uh, throughout the rest of the year. Not saying throw the season away and, and start just playing all the young guys all together. Though I mean, well, I've seen that thrown out there, of course. <laughs> and just say, uh, okay, I don't care really about the season anymore. Let's just move on to 2022 and get all those young guys ready. But you know, coaches don't think that way. They're still going to be you know, coaching to win games there. But you know, how it looks uh, will, will be a huge factor here. So, look, I mean, of course, Vanderbilt, you're going to go – I mean, Florida can go sleepwalk through that game and, and still st- still win that game. That's how bad Vanderbilt is right now. LSU in a couple weeks, you just got over a road game. You saw all the struggles Florida had at Kentucky in a road environment. LSU coming up. They lose to Auburn uh, th- this past week. You know, where is where are their heads at? We asked ourselves that question last year going into Florida LSU. Okay, there's no way they're interested in this game. They barely have their whole roster. They come to Gainesville and beat the Gators. So you still hope there's some active revenge that from, from last year that these players want to go in and out. And also, you know, go try and get everything together ready for the, the Georgia game two weeks after that. Go look better. As you just said, I think the way it looks is important as well. You've got to go to Baton Rouge. You've got to go get that win there in a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, so there's a couple things I think I want to see. I mean, you've obviously talked about, and and I, I agree with you that I don't think that you want to put in every single young guy that you've got. I, I think what I said is true, is that Ty goes to the runner at this point, that if you've got yeah. a guy who's younger and can get the experience and it helps him, and you know they're basically equivalent in practice that it makes sense to get the young guy at least some reps. Um, you're right, they're probably going to be able to beat Vanderbilt, but I'll be honest, if, if they go four and eight, but four is October 30th, I'm fine with it at this point. Like, <laughs> like, just, just get that one, and, 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 and a lot of ills get get cured by that one. But you know, here's the deal: is that we've we've talked extensively, repeatedly for the last four years about recruiting. We've talked about level of player. We've talked about consistency that comes with that kind of recruiting, and we've talked about that really this the the seasons that we've seen are and the seasons we're going to see are going to be referendums on Dan Mullen's ability to be able to recruit at the level that he's doing, which is not bad, but not elite, right? It is not Alabama. It is not Georgia. It's not even LSU. It's sort of Auburn level. And that he was going to probably need a transcendent quarterback to win consistently. Those are sort of the things that we said. And I think games like this indicate that the schematic advantage, that the strategy, that the game planning, that all those things that give us hope that, that Mullen is going to be able to overcome some limitations that he might have from a roster construction perspective kind of went out the window. Cause I looked at that game and just said every decision that I saw that could have given Florida an edge didn't you know, the, the wrong decision was made in my mind, at least. And, and I think from an analytics perspective as well. And then you look at the overall game plan and you say the sort of the same thing. So to, to have Mullen get, regardless of how much he bristled at it after the, after the game in the press conference, for Mullen to get out coached by Mark Stoops is a problem because what you're relying on is that Mullen is going to consistently outcoach mm-hmm. the opposition. I think that's the other thing that, that, that we want to see, that the game plans are as robust and as aggressive against teams like Missouri and Vanderbilt and and you know Kentucky next year when they play them again as they are against Georgia that you should you shouldn't um, yes you can hold things for those big games but at the same time the level of conservatism that we saw the other night doesn't I don't know how that helps the team grow 
Right. Right. Like not taking shot, like losing when you're taking shots down the field, you throw a bunch of picks and you find out what you got. Okay. That's fine. But losing because you're scared at the end of the half to, to, to get the ball and you might have to punt it back to the opposition. Like you, what? <laughs> like, you know, Sawyer or not Sawyer Smith, uh, Will Levis threw for you know, 81 yards and like 65 of them were on one drive. They threw for like 25 or 30 yards the rest of the game, other than that one drive where they hit the big play to Wandale Robinson. I don't know what you're scared of having to punt back to the opposition. And it wasn't like Kentucky had the ball at Florida's 40. Kentucky had the ball at Kentucky's 40 and punted. And, you know, granted the special teams haven't been any great shakes at the same time. If you just, you know, you fair catch the ball at the 13, the whole thing didn't make any sense. And so that's, that's the thing that I think, really sort of got punctured this weekend is is not necessarily the you know the reason this one hurts more than LSU I think is because even in that LSU game you could hang your head on the fact that Florida was going to score 35 points against anybody and that Mullen was going to be able to put together good strategies and maybe he was going to come up short because of motivation or because he didn't have the right you know he didn't have the right players or you know you didn't have the confluence of a good defense and a good offense all at the same time or you had a bunch of turnovers or something like that never my wildest dreams did I look at it and say, I think Florida's team actually kind of executed the game plan pretty well. And the game plan was bad. And, and that's, that's sort of what I felt like coming out of the Kentucky game, as well as the in-game decision-making was bad as well. And, you know, I, I think this is a game that I'm going to remember as, as really Dan Mullen getting in Florida's way to winning the game. And, and that's, that's discouraging. So hopefully that's something that we see rectified over the course of the rest of the year. And, and, you know, Hey, everybody makes mistakes. I'm sure that uh, in some quiet moments, he'll probably sit down and, and think about some things that he could do differently. And maybe we'll see that coming out with a more aggressive game plan in some of these games where, um, where Florida should be the dominant team, but in the past has not necessarily been willing or able to, to step on the opponent's throat. Well, in all reality, the rest of the season is two games, LSU and Georgia. And Georgia is more than likely an outcome that you already know. Uh, it's going to happen. But it's, it's still those two games you're going to look forward to. And kind of going to your point there about, you know, the schematic advantage we give Dan Mullen and, and uh, the well-earned reputation of, of him being a, a really you know, a good head coach, one of the best schemers out there, one of the best play callers out there. You know, that's, that's really going to be tested and, and tested versus LSU. You're going to sit here and tell me you go to Baton Rouge in a couple weeks. You're going against Ed Orgeron again. And the way they're struggling right now, you cannot go lose that game. And you'd be one in three versus Ed Orgeron? Coach O, you'd be one in three if you go lose that game in a couple weeks? So, look, you, it, can't, it can't happen. I don't care what the circumstance is. I don't care that it's a road game. We already heard today it's a noon game, so it's, you don't have to deal with the the the, the night craziness of uh, of Baton Rouge, you know. So don't give me that excuse either. You know, this is a game Florida is going to have to go in, and if there's any sense of desperation, which that's what this team should be playing with for the rest of the year, but you know, the, it's I, I say it's a two game season from here on out because it really is because you should not lose to South Carolina, Stanford, Missouri, Florida State. I mean, I know we can't overlook everybody just buck, buck, because of what transpired this past Saturday. But going throughout those whole teams, Kentucky's still a better team than South Carolina, Sanford, Missouri, Florida State. So, okay. So, you know you should beat those other teams on the schedule. So, LSU and Georgia, of course, that is the season right now, but more so LSU because that game is winnable. It's a game right now. I don't care. You should win when you go on the road in a couple weeks. You cannot go lose to this LSU team and Ed Orgeron. And we're going to start taking, taking a look at big picture here. 
be one and three versus Coach O. Yeah, I mean, what did we see against Kentucky that makes us think that we're going to be able to go into Baton Rouge and put up points? That's I mean, I, I didn't see anything. What yeah. What did we see against Kentucky or Alabama, for that matter, that makes us think we're going to be able to go in and compete with Georgia? And what did we see in the game against Kentucky, really even the first half against Tennessee, first quarter, especially against Alabama, but even in some of the, the second half against South Florida where the team got beat 17-7, to 7, I think. What did we see in those games that make us think that we should be – all that confident about South Carolina and Florida State and and some of those t- and Missouri and oh my God Stan- Sanford absolutely <laughs> that, one, that one should be a win right but but I, I just look at it and I go we walked into that I walked into that Kentucky game looking at the stats going ooh this one could be closer than I think but I think Florida is still going to pull it out because of a lot of the different things that they thought they had advantages on and they just didn't take advantage of any of those things and so if they go out with a game plan where they're going to just throw dink and dunk and they're going to run into um, you know they're not going to be able to push people around when they've got five man fronts um, you know it's it <laughs> I have not seen something that tells me that if someone can stop their running game that they're going to be able to score and one of the problems is is that Kentucky at least stopped their running game without having a whole lot of guys in the box. And if other teams can do that, whew, it's gonna they're gonna struggle. They're gonna struggle to score. It you know, if you if you can drop eight in coverage or seven in coverage, like it, it's hard to score. And uh, you know, Kentucky was able to do that, drop a lot of guys in coverage and 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 do some things to confuse Florida's offense um, post-snap that I think other teams are going to mimic, and until Florida shows that they have an answer for those, they're, they're probably going to continue to struggle. All right, here we go. Just to look at uh, kind of a outlook for the rest of the season and you know what's in front of the Gators to get this thing turned around. Make us all feel better. Make us all feel, you know, <laughs> look, I, w- I was about to say come together, but we all have come together just the other, just the other way than just a couple of weeks ago, you know, talking about Alabama after a loss and, and all that. Yeah. We've generations mostly come together of, uh, you know, just, and I said it before, it's year four. We're out now coming together to, to ask questions about the trajectory of the program. I didn't think that'd be the case right now. So that's a look there at that picture, the season picture, a little bit of big picture, of course, can't really ultimately talk about big picture till the season gets played out. We can talk about it, talk about it along the way, uh, but ultimate answer will come as this season plays along. All right, before we move on, is there anything better than sweating out a win in the fourth quarter and coming away with cash in your pocket? At my bookie, there is. Make your first deposit and receive double your money before ever placing a bet with my bookie. That's a dollar for dollar match on whatever you throw down up to a thousand bucks. Use that money to get in on all the biggest games of the week, including Sunday night's matchup between the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs with two of the most explosive offenses in the NFL going toe to toe. Will you bet the over? And as if you needed another reason to head to mybookie.ag to celebrate the start of the MLB playoffs, mybookie is hosting a $20,000 blackjack tournament that is absolutely free to enter. Winning season is here, so get in, get in on the game. Go to mybookie.ag, use promo code GATORS to get your d- double deposit bonus. That's promo code GATORS, so you can double your funds to double your winnings. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with mybookie. All right, well, let's get into Dan Mullen's press conference today on Monday. And... Uh, so pretty early, I got, I got to hop in on there and asked him right away about how he would assess the lack of down, downfield passing from Emory Jones versus Kentucky. And so far this season, 
he had a very short response that uh, Kentucky was playing, quote, one high soft deep coverage. That was pretty much it uh, with a long pause and then saying, you're not just going to launch the pass in the coverage. So, okay, short, quick response uh, to, to my question there. So that's where he left it. I guess he didn't want to go into any more detail of why it has, you know, why that's been an issue the last couple of games. Someone else did ask later, uh, Emory throwing down the field. Mullen says he trusts him to throw downfield. So, look, uh, look stats say otherwise. Uh, but, uh, well, I'm going to say, you know, that may be a, a, a case of situational football and trusting Emory Jones and throwing the ball downfield. Now, look, Dan Mullen says he went out there on that drive before halftime looking for deep shots, but they weren't there. And then, quote, all of a sudden they were under 30 seconds. Well, that makes absolutely no sense, but okay. Um, that's okay. If that's true about the deep shots, okay, that's fine. I'm not sure I believe it, but okay. But the quote, all of a sudden they were under 30 seconds, you had three timeouts. There, there was no all of a sudden about it. You let the clock run, you had three timeouts. There's no all of a sudden about it. You knew what was going on. Um, he also said about that drive that if Kentucky was punting, punting from their five and Florida started, started at around the 40, timeouts would have been used. Well, okay, yeah, no duh. But uh, sometimes if you're, in your, if you're deep in your own territory, you want to get out not give them a chance for an explosive play. He used last year's Florida-Kentucky game as an example when that worked against Kentucky. Just enough time remaining. They had the punt with the short field. Kadarius Tony took it back for a touchdown. He said that's what he was going back to. Okay, so there is Dan Mullen's reasoning for that conservative look before halftime. Says it includes some deep shot looks for Emory Jones. He checks him down. Uh, look, most of it, it that was his look. You know, this it mostly goes against his nature uh, from what we've seen from Dan Mullen in, in his career so far. He says the deep shots were called, but Kentucky covered them. Look, I get it. Offensive line wasn't playing well. He just wanted to get the halftime. I would have been aggressive enough for at least a field goal try. So now, in a way, Will, if, if, if we take him for his word there, and Emory Jones is looking downfield but checking out. So, look, and in a way, I do – there is some truth, I think, to him saying he believes that he trusts Emory throwing the ball down the field overall. And like I said, I think it's situational. He didn't want Emory – I don't think he wanted Emory throwing down the field in that, but he says it was called. Emory checks it down. And look, now – I think where I can say I think he does trust Emory to throw the ball downfield a little bit. There are plays called. We've seen the plays called. There's guys open down the field, and it's up to Emory Jones to make the right read to see it, then to throw it. Does Emory trust himself? That might be a question we need to start asking ourselves when we when we start looking at the deep ball. Is he not seeing it? Either one's issues. Don't get me wrong. Either, either one's issues, and you already got a fourth-year quarterback, and he should be able to see down the field, read the defense, and and, and launch the ball if the if the receiver's open down the field. Uh, but uh, trying to mix here, Will, the the downfield – lack of downfield passing, Mullen relating it to that late first-half drive, not getting anything out of it. I mean, I think we all wonder, like, you know, when he comes out and says some of these things, and to me, in a way, kind of contradicted himself at the same time. Yeah, okay, yeah, we wanted to take deep shots, but they weren't there. Then also at the same time says, well, we were backed up a little bit. I thought we should be conservative. And I get that from an offensive line struggling perspective, but I don't know. There's just, it was kind of a mixed message there for me a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, 
Zach Carter gets the sack of Levis with 242 left. It's at the Kentucky 40-yard line. So, yeah, you might get pinned at the 13 or 14-yard line, which is exactly what happens, right? They pin Florida back at the 13-yard line. Mullen doesn't call a timeout, so Kentucky's able to bleed the 40 seconds in the place. They have a minute 56. So if you want to go in the locker room without being aggressive, okay, this is where you run the ball, right? But instead, he calls a screen to shorter. So a Hmm. screen is not a deep shot. Um, <laughs> the fact that they got it out there quickly, you know, for two yards, they didn't call a timeout and let, they let the clock run. Right. Then they called another pass play to, to Whittemore over the middle. Now, whether or not that was the first read, it was a little bit of a dangerous pass, right? If it had been a little bit behind Whittemore, that one maybe does get taken back because it was in a little bit of traffic and that's with a minute 17 left. And then he runs the ball twice and runs out the clock. So his comment that he looked up and had 30 seconds that came after two running plays to get another first down, which is when they had 30 seconds. So it doesn't yeah. really jive with reality. Um, but okay. If that's what you want to do, if you want to be conservative going into the, going into halftime, Hey, that's a coaching decision. I don't agree with it, but Hey, you're on 13 yard line i can i can deal with that the issues that i have is is that that conservatism or fear or whatever you want to call it permeated the entire game the opening drive they got to the kentucky 42 had a fourth and three and decided to punt the ball they punted in the end zone they get 22 net yards every single analytical tool in the world tells you that you go for it in that exact situation and he left points on the field by punting there that is a conservative call and it is a call that cost Florida over the long haul, over a year, you you score more points by going forward on fourth down there than you give up. And instead, they punted it, get 22 net yards on the first play. Nobody or on the first drive. Nobody really remembers it because Kentucky had to punt out of there out of theirs as well. But it's not like Kentucky moved the ball down the field there either. The reality is, is you gained a whole you gained very little by punting. And you could have gained a ton by going for it. He decided not to do it. And then you look at the last drive where they had all kinds of plays in the red zone. And granted, he was probably scared they were going to jump off sides again, like because <laughs> they did it like three times in the drive. But, you know, a throw in the flat to gamble from the nine yard line. Then he runs Jones. Then they have a false start. Then there's a throwaway and they get the face mask, which was really a gift because that was a blown play. A wide receiver screen to Copeland. Granted, it was open, but he slips, right? Then a false start. Then a design quarterback run from the 14 on second and 14, second and goal from the 14 for three yards. Then they throw in the flat to Davis and then the throw comes to Whittemore. So from an aggression standpoint, like, can he, and, he, and he mentioned it today, and I actually think there's been a lot of criticism of Emory Jones for that throw to Whittemore. I think that's misplaced. I don't think anybody was open, and I think he would have really struggled. To, now, he could have maybe scrambled around and, and things like that, but he thought he had a window. He threw it. The ball gets tipped. There have been a lot of pictures going around of Gamble being open in the back of the end zone, but that's way after he let go of the ball. Gam- Gamble was not open coming over the middle. Um, but what I would say is the fact that Kentucky had the ability to drop all those guys into the end zone is because they didn't take any shots into the end zone on first down, second down, or third down. And so when they got to fourth down, they had to go in the end zone, and that's when you had to fit it into a tight spot. So those are the two spots specifically that I look at and say conservatism was the order of the day. And the halftime sort of just letting the clock bleed was a symptom of that. But it wasn't the only time in the game where Florida conceivably gave up points. And in a game where you lose by seven and you're thrown into the end zone for a tie, obviously three points somewhere might have made a major difference, might have changed the way Kentucky had to play. Right. You don't necessarily drop everybody into the end zone if you're up by four, because if you let one slip in, you lose the game as opposed to it just being a tie. Maybe you play a little bit differently. So um, I'm not sure. I don't know why the game plan was so conservative. I don't know why um, some of those decisions were made, but what I can say is that if you look at it, if you look at this purely from an analytics perspective, um, most of those decisions were, were poor 
and it cost Florida and left points on the field in a game where they needed every point they could get because of some of the mistakes that they made from turnovers and, and special teams. We also have a big debate, of course, the Emory Jones quarterback. I definitely had to ask Mullen about the, the lack of deep field shots. Uh, he responds, you know, first of all, I wasn't just asking about the Kentucky game. I said Kentucky and, and games before that. But, of course, he, he focused solely on the Kentucky game, saying they played a, a lot of one high, soft, deep coverage. Willie, uh, I'm going to have to give you a shout here. Yeah, as soon as I said that, you started going back and looking a little bit and said, you know, well, you, okay, even, even if that's the case, it's not necessarily an excuse not to be passing the ball down the field in this Gator offense. Yeah, so it, it was a really bad answer to your question. You're asking a legitimate question about why why Jones isn't going deep, and he throws something out there about cover one. Um, says they're dropping, says that's why they didn't throw any deep balls. I, I think, quite honestly, he he really needs to probably owes you an apology the way he sort of stared at the camera. Um, but, you know, I'd say the same thing about Bill Belichick. The difference is, is Bill Belichick would have beaten Kentucky. And so I went and I, I looked. I've got a couple of playbooks from Urban Meyer's, Urban Meyer's uh, time there at both Utah and Ohio State. And obviously the Ohio State um, – the Ohio State playbook is not with Dan Mullen there, but Dan Mullen obviously helped design the offense. And in there, it says ways to beat cover one, pick routes, slants, wheels, and play action. And says, quote, the run game is designed to force the defense into single high, no deep structure. The pass game is designed to beat single high and no deep. So I went back and looked at last year's film from an article that I wrote. They had cover one versus South Carolina. Trask delivered to Pitts right over the middle on what really amounts to a slant. Cover one versus Missouri. Trask looks off the safety and hits Copeland deep over the middle on a post or a dig. Cover one versus Georgia. Trask hits a wheel route to Naquan Wright and everybody else deep down the sideline. Mm-hmm. Cover one versus Georgia. He threw to Grimes deep down the sideline. or I'm sorry, he threw to Pitts deep down the sideline over Tyson Campbell for a touchdown. Cover one versus LSU. Tony runs a post and Trask delivers it 30 yards downfield over the corner and under the safety. And even last week, Emory hit that deep pass to shorter down the sideline in a single high look from Tennessee. So I don't think that's a legitimate answer to your question. And especially when you only score 13 points. And the question I would ask is where were the slants? Where were the pick routes? Where were the wheels? They did try a little bit with play action. They had the little rocker step and I think did have a, did have a deep shot open on that one and, and wished Emory had pulled the trigger. But again, you know, our offensive savant of a head coach is averaging 23 points per game against Kentucky in his four games, scores 13 points. And I think it's a legitimate question that when the your playbook says that when the defense is in cover one, you want to attack them through the air. So the answer of they were in cover one, we didn't want to throw deep is not a legitimate answer to that question. There are other things you can do, but I would have been fine if they were running rub routes, if they were running wheels, if they were doing all that sort of stuff. But I didn't see a lot of that. I saw sort of those intermediate routes in the flats, um, a lot of screen passes, and then sort of, you know, in the sort of eight to 12 yard range, um, you know, and, and, that, and yes, some of those things can be used to, to combat cover one, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it was a legitimate answer to your question. I think it was um, – and, and I don't think he had legitimate answers for most people who ask questions. There were a lot of questions at that press conference today that got one word or one sentence answers, and I don't think that's really – you're not doing yourself any favors doing that, right? I mean, Gator, fam, Gator Nation's a family, and I think one of the things that you sort of miss in the all kinds of weather, which we all do very much believe in, the the, the credo of, of in all kinds of weather, but part of that is that you tell your family the truth. 
And I think the truth here is that um, you, know, you, you can't go out and, and ostracize the fans. You can't go out and insult our intelligence and expect us to keep buying into what you're doing. And so I think there's some repair that needs to be done here. And the other thing is, is that it leaves the players in a situation where they have to answer these questions. And look, Dan Mullen's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. I'm not sitting here saying that, that um, you know, that, and obviously at a loss when everybody starts picking apart your game plan, then that becomes, can be, can be yeah. irksome, right? I get it. At the same time, you get paid $7.6 million to answer these questions, or you get paid $7.6 million to beat Kentucky. And if you beat Kentucky, none of these questions come. And so when you fall short, I do think it's, it's incumbent upon the person in a position of authority to go out and answer these questions. It's one of the big problems I have with Jim McElwain is that he did a really nice job of throwing everybody but Jim McElwain under the bus. And I felt really bad for Felipe Franks having to take the bullets for it. And I think, you know, I don't want to see the same thing happen to Emory Jones because I think there are some limits to Emory Jones game. I think we can all see them. I think that even Dan Mullen can see them. And I don't think you're doing any favors by just pretending like they aren't there. I think the answer is, is that there are probably better things you can do from a game plan perspective, better things you can do from a preparation perspective. And you just answer those questions legitimately and, and, you know, don't glare at the guy who's asking the question. You're not the one who scored 13 points against Kentucky. He is. And, and that, that should have some, there should be some legitimate questions when you only go out there and score 13 points. Yeah, another hot topic, Will, I had to ask about, you know, fan, the, the fan base had definitely let a few of us media members who get to talk to Dan Mullen what they wanted asked. So I was I was lucky enough to go early and, and share those two thoughts. So one was downfield passing, and the other one was, of course, Dan Mullen, his, his thumb wrestling um, – Thumb wrestling, um, you know, uh, mentioning that uh, how he was so competitive, com- competitive, he wanted to kick your butt in, even in thumb wrestling. Whatever he was going to do, he wanted to kick your butt in. And that was in reference, you know, to the, his first season after the Missouri game. You know, he referenced wanting to win and compete and everything, including thumb wrestling, uh, thumb wrestling with a lot of passion. You know, Dan Mullen was really passionate after that uh, press conference, after, in that press conference, after the loss to Missouri. And even after a loss, I got the fan base fired up a little bit because Dan Mullen had showed some passion after a loss of, you know, this is not going to be acceptable. Uh, so, I, of course, brought that up. I had to ask, is that same urgency and motivation missing from the program right now? And he responded, not in any way, shape or form. I promise you that. There we go. <laughs> that was it. OK. All right. I get it. I, I hit him early with, with, with the questions. I understand uh uh, the demeanor and how he answered that one, you know, you don't want to, you don't want question your demeanor, uh, your approach, your um, fire uh, right now, even after a loss. I don't think uh, nobody wants that question, but fan base wanted to know that. Uh, and so there we go. Uh, I got it out there. So, um, yeah, and this response is about what I expected. No issue with that whatsoever. And later on, he pretty much rehashed the, thumb wrestling statement but this time it was about running or playing basketball and such like that says he he wants to compete and win so there, there we go gator fans it was asked whether you like his response or not uh, <laughs> that's, that's up to you to decide but the will that is a that is a hot topic of course is you know does he have that fire uh does he still have that same passion that he had in 2018 his first year in gainesville leading the gators um and you know a lot of it comes with the end of 2020 and some of the, the tirades there and then some of the NFL talk that comes along um, almost every offseason with Dan Mullen. Does he really want to be here at Florida? You know, I, I don't take that NFL talk all too much about does he really want to be here or not. I, I, 
I don't relate those two too much, but a lot of people do. Uh, but then just some of the, you know, the, losing inexcusable games, the way you lose inexcusable games, is that passion, is that fire still there? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think I think this is a this is a tough job. Right. I mean, you got you got schmucks like me questioning every single move you make. You've got um, you know, you've got a fan base that's incredibly passionate. And part of that passion is, is that when things are bad, the sky is falling. And when things are good, we're going to beat everybody. Right. And and those highs and those lows, I'm sure can be tough to deal with. I'm sure it can. I'm sure it can be tough for him. I'm sure it can be tough for his family. And I think we do need to acknowledge that there there is a line that we want to make sure we're not crossing when it comes to the criticism. At the same time, you're a journalist and you're being invited to a press conference to ask legitimate questions about the program. And the responses to those legitimate questions are not inspiring confidence that the head coach has any clue how to fix this stuff because he's not saying enough that we can actually glean that there's a plan, right? If you, if you come out and have a concrete plan and that's the thing that I think got everybody all excited about the thumb wrestling stuff. It wasn't necessarily that he was just emotional and all that sort of stuff. It was like, he's going to go in there and crack some skulls and and we're going to see yeah. who's bought in. Right. And, and the response after this is, yep, still get the fire. Like, uh, okay. And the response back then was to not lose a game the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, so again, I mean, I, I think, look, it's a tough job. Things are things are hard to do, but same thing, right? You you have to ask legitimate questions. I'm glad you did. I'm glad other people did. I, I think I, I get that some of those questions are annoying because <laughs> you're getting questions yeah. on things that 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 you know. And he's been answering the same questions all year long. This isn't the first time he's been asked about Emory Jones throwing downfield. Um, at the same time, um, you know, look, these are the questions that you get asked when you when you lose a game like this, and it's hard on everyone, um, just like it's hard on him. And and so. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think that that's, that's again. I, I said, like I said it earlier, Gator Nation's a family, which means you got to tell people the truth. I think the truth is, is you're not doing yourself any favors by going out and being obstinate with the media. I think for the most part, most of the people in the media want to tell a positive story about the program. It's hard to do when you just watch the game against Kentucky, which means that the positivity has to come from the guy who runs the program because that's the only place you're going to get it from because you're not going to get it from the results. And the fact that we're getting pessimism from the head of the program program just basically means everybody's going to pile on. So, you know, if I were a PR guy who was saying, this is what we need to do to get people on our side, that is not what I would have prescribed for that press conference. But again, Dan Mullen has always sort of, you know, walked to the, diff- to the beat of a different drummer. And, you know, you even read books about his experience with Urban Meyer and, and the way he recruited and those sorts of things. And, you know, he does things his way. That That is the thing that, that I think many people love about him, but I think it's the thing that drives people crazy. And we're sort of getting the crazy part of it right now. But again, if, if Florida ties that game and wins in overtime, it's a very different it's a very different feel, even though the game plan and the conservatism and all that stuff is still sort of the same. The criticism, I think, is considerably muted because you get that win. The fact that you're coming off a loss makes it uh, a little bit less bearable. And you, you just sort of hope. I think for the most part, most of us are looking for a hope from the guy who's the head coach, right? Like, sell me. Yeah on yep. why I should support you and the program the rest of the way, other than just I'm a Gator and that's what I should do that, you know, that 
hey, we're going to find out exactly what these guys are made of, that when we go out there, we want we want that place rocking, even against Vanderbilt. We're going to go out there high fly and see what we got. I guarantee you we're going to throw the ball downfield more as, as the season opens up. Now we've had the second loss, and so there's nothing to lose. We're going to go chuck it around the lot. You say that stuff, I think everybody goes, yeah, absolutely. I'm bought in. Let's go see it. You go throw it all over the yard and score 55 points the next couple of games, and everybody's all right back on the, on, on the wagon. But uh, – Obviously, that wasn't the choice that he made, and so we're left talking about one-word answers or one-sentence <laughs> answers. Yeah, so that was fun. That was fun doing with that. Um, so here we go. Finish up this episode. Well, we teased it long enough. David Wonderlich's uh, article there. I'm not going to go verbatim. I'm not going to really give it away um, there because I think everybody should go to Gator Country and read it, or if you follow David on Twitter – um, I forget, I didn't include his Twitter handle, but David Wonderlick, uh, there who writes, uh, for, for Gator Country. It's at year two. That's right. Year two. That's right. I knew, yeah, I knew it was not tied to his name. So that's why I couldn't remember it. So, <laughs> so, uh, here we go. Uh, and it's based on small margin for error for Dan Mullen and the, basically the way he runs his program. There's a small margin for error. Not going to give the whole article away. You should definitely go read it. Um, and it highlights, you know, the, the, the margin for error, it's small the way Dan Mullen approaches different aspects of running this Gator program. On-field, off-field, all play a part here. Saturday night was an example of, uh, Will, you talked about it, the conservative, conservative approach where fluke plays like a block field goal for a touchdown make a difference. Your conservative nature calls a close game. Fluke plays can be the difference, uh, and it was. Uh, he goes on to point out how staff loyalty and recruiting go hand in hand. And will nobody has hit that nail harder than us over the last few years. I don't, you know, so that's if you've listened to Gators breakdown for any amount of time, you, you, you've, you've been previewed about the, the potential of consistency that is coming from Dan Mullen right now. And that's kind of how it's playing out. And don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say, I saw a loss to Kentucky happen with, with that. Of course I picked Florida to win, but we did say, you know, that, that, Consistency, consistency can be lacking when you don't recruit at the elite level, and it's playing out that way just a little bit. So, um, and, and the flute losses become even more common when, when you don't have that type of recruiting there. Lessens the chances. Uh, lessens the chances you can get over a bad game based on talent. So there, there's much more there. Uh, I don't want to steal Dave Stunder. It's a great read, a great look into the program, a great uh, – um, uh, just different ways of looking at the small margin of error Dan Mullen has created for himself here. Uh, I was talking about this very subject on Twitter spaces this morning before I even saw the article about, you know, this the, the Saturday night, how it transpired was, you know, uh, uh, the, the margin for error was not very large, but David said it perfect, wrote it in great article, perfect form there. Uh, Mullen approach lends itself to these type of performances. Yeah, I, I think, the we've touched on various aspects of, of David's article over the course of the last four years, really, but he sort of tied it together in a bow that I think again, yeah. is, is worth everybody going out and checking out. Um, but the thing that I think really struck me or at least struck a chord with me is the, when he talked about the margin for error at the fan level, right? That, that I remember bringing my son when he was seven years old to the spring game back in 2019. And one of the reasons that I brought him to that game is because he can't, or at least at the time, he was not old enough to be at a regular game. Like, he was not capable of sitting at a game. And quite honestly, a night game definitely wouldn't be capable of being at. He'd fall asleep before the game was over. And so 
the spring game and, and the open fall practices and all those sorts of things give people an opportunity to connect and they give people an opportunity to feel like they're part of the family. And we all have family members who have sort of either cut themselves off or who are less communicative than they used to be, or you've had a falling out and those sorts of things. And I think in some respects, that's kind of what it's felt like over the last year that, you know, obviously with COVID in 2020, it's a legitimate reason to keep people away. But when you're going to pack, when you're going to pack the stadium in, in the fall and, you know, you don't really have a spike going on in Florida and you don't have the spring game and then your fall practices don't have access and all those sorts of things. You know, we all sort of sat here going, all right, all right, we're waiting for the season. We're waiting for the season. We're waiting for the season. And we're waiting to see all this development that we've been looking at. And then the development isn't there and, and you didn't have that connection to start with. And that, that I think is the thing that really struck the chord with me is that there are ways to, endear yourself to a fan base um, in, in ways that, that have nothing to do with whether you win on the field. Now, obviously winning on the field is important. And if you win, it really doesn't matter whether you endure, whether you endear yourself to the fan base, but if you struggle, it really does. And, you know, I, again, I, I think we're being critical of Mullen tonight because there are reasons to be critical, but I also think that, you know, this is not the Ron Zook era. This is not the Will Muschamp era. This is not, the Jim McElwain era, but it's also not the Urban Meyer era or the Steve Spurrier era. And, you know, so I think there are legitimate questions to be asked about ceilings and, and, and all those sorts of things. And one of the ways that you get opportunities to answer those questions about ceilings is by making sure that the fan base is going on the trip with you. And that's the thing is I think Florida fans and myself in particular want to feel like I'm going on that ride with the team. And by preventing that from happening over the course of the off season, we sort of went on this ride where we expected to be shot out, you know, the, the, the roller coaster where you get shot out right away. <laughs> Everything's going really, really <laughs> fast. And the loss to Kentucky is like the roller coaster coming to a screeching halt, you know, five seconds into the ride, but the guy saying, Hey, still pay for it. And, and, you know, that, that doesn't feel so good. So yeah, I, I think it's a great article by David. I think it ties a lot of this stuff together, but that was the thing that really struck out to me was, or stuck out to me was the, the margins around the interactions with the fans and, and how building those sorts of things, building that sort of goodwill can go a long way when you start to struggle. And, and that just has not been a focus of, of this administration. And I think in particular with some of the stuff that's been going on with the women's basketball program, there are people who feel pensive about some of the things that have happened the last two or three years within the football program with the probation and with the, uh, with the Darth Gator and with the sort of half incitement in the Missouri game and, and all those different things. And you start factoring all those things together, start chaining those things together. And it just sort of builds a, a disconnect between the program and the fan base. And that's not something that you want, nor something that you hope to, you know, that, that you want to feel. But I think a lot of us feel that, right. A lot of us feel a disconnect with the program. And so when things are going poorly, the, the first thing you say is, well, do I need to get a divorce rather than how do I fix the, how do I fix the relationship? And I think that's where Gator Nation is at this point is you've got people asking, you know, do we need to get a divorce? Now I think it's a little bit premature for that. Um, yeah. At the same time, I understand why people are asking the question, right? I mean, you know, your, your, your spouse is telling you <laughs> leave the house <laughs> and you're like, okay, mm -hmm. well I'll stand out here, but I don't know. I'm not going to wait around forever. And, and, you know, I, I think that's kind of the feeling that a lot of people have. Yeah. And going to your point, it, it, it's changed. Like, you know, we had all those open practices. We've had the open and look, and spring games have kind of always been 
uh, been open, but Florida just decided not to have one this past year. And of course, 2020 speaks for itself. Uh, but, you know, you, you had the spring games in 1819, but also you had all those open practices uh, in spring and in fall. And we, we've seen that the perfect example of everybody wanting to get together this year is just how everybody's come together so far this year and at the tailgates. And of course, uh, the, the Bama game was insane and, and, and everybody getting together and, you know, wanting to be together in, in that atmosphere. Look, I remember uh, being with the Harmonic, Harmonic Woods group, and I think it was one of the early fall practices in 2019. I mean, Dan they're taking pictures with fans. I mean, we got a picture of him with us and a few members of the Harmonic Woods group uh, there. He's taking pictures with us after, after practice. And look, you're right. That was a connection. And that was something we definitely missed and liked uh, the last couple of years. And look, I know it's on a small scale and, you know, it doesn't speak to the masses there when there's only what, maybe two, 300 people there at, a, at an open practice or whatever. But there's things that add up that you say bring goodwill uh, there to for, for, from Dan Mullen. We've seen it uh, before. And I guess, um, you know, after 2020, the opportunity to have more of that uh, in 2021, we didn't get it. Now some of the, the, the feeling and the actions and the press conferences and, I know. So, look, it, it wasn't a big deal to me. I know a lot of people wanted to make a lot of Mullen smiling, going toward and, and, and shaking Stoops' hand and, and all that. Like, so I saw it when it happened. I was like, oh, no, here it comes. I'm like, I knew this was going to be a, a big deal when blowing up somewhere. It didn't didn't rub me the wrong way, but I, I can see where it does rub some people uh, the wrong way. I, I, I didn't make too much of it. But, I mean, there we go. It's just kind of those things that add up. Well, it is, man. I mean, the reality is, is that the closed off nature of the program for the last two years means that the relationship between the fans and the administration and the fans and the coaching staff is transactional. And it, it's not relational. It's transactional. And I was thinking about this this week. You know, we saw we all saw the the videos come out of Urban Meyer this week, which obviously are a little bit um <laughs> Uh, sad from a familial perspective and, and those yeah. sorts of things. But the only thing I could think was Steve Spurrier could do the exact same thing and the Florida fan would just delete the video, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like that guy would be protected if something like that happened because he – and people go talk to him, right? I think there would be people who were in his life who'd go have a conversation with him and things like that, but I think the video would get buried. And I think the reason the video would get buried is because he's the family member. Like we have a relationship – as a fan base with that person. And so are not going to throw him under the bus when it comes to urban Meyer and Ohio state, he's up there in Columbus. That is a transactional relationship. They paid him money to win them championships and to beat Michigan. And he did that successfully at the same time. He kind of embarrassed their program with some of the stuff that was going on up there as well. It's a transactional relationship. And I think that's really what, what has been built here in Gainesville is it's a transactional relationship is that, and what that means is that the only way to win that relationship is you got to win. Right. And at the end of the day, that's going to cure all these ills. Right. If, if Florida goes 10 and two and beats the doors off of Georgia, then we'll be having a very different conversation by the end of the year because of the way the pro, because of the way the team built itself after this transformational loss against Kentucky, where they were able to sort of band together and, and build through the season. Right. But that's the deal is that it, I think we have some relationships. You know, you've seen a lot of the stuff with with the Gator Collective and other things that are going on in terms of trying to build relationships between the players and the fans. I think for the most part, we're all on board supporting the players. But when it comes to the when it comes to the coaching staff and some of the comments today and some of the comments after the game the other day, it's clear that it's a transactional relationship. And OK, I agree. Handshake. But that means that you got to win because if you don't win, the transaction is criticism. Whereas if you do win, then the transaction is praise. You don't get one without the other if that's the relationship you want to have. 
there we go. Will Miles bringing it tonight. You know, we've, uh, <laughs> we've got a lot of comments. So, Will, I know our, our episode from yesterday and your article from yesterday doing really well. A lot of people, uh, I did, you know, I forget his name. I'm sorry if you're listening, if you're eventually listening. I know he, he messaged me on Twitter. He goes, man, I just can't listen. He goes, I, I don't want to be sad. And I was like, it's funny. I was like, I, I do get that. But I was like, sometimes numbers and, and listens and views and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they go up after losses because every either it's it's group therapy and everybody just kind of wants to kumbaya together and, and wallow in our sorrows together or just kind of uh, – a reason why I know to, to know why. So it has been, it's been tough uh, the last couple of days. We don't want to talk about our Gators this way, uh, but it is the reality of the situation. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we can move forward and, and more positive conversations are to be had uh, coming up, but we'll, uh, you know, great look at the game yesterday from you at reading reaction. Uh, but uh, tough work has to be done sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we got Vanderbilt coming up. What, what, what are we going to talk about? But, <laughs> Now, you know, it's funny because you talked about having sort of a catharsis, right, that we're all sort of commiserating together. And and I think that goes back to what I said about us being a family, right? Like I, yeah. one of the really cool things about the Harmonic Woods tailgate is that those guys embrace – I come down to, I come down once a year. I've been to the tailgate like three or four times max because I get down there very rarely. But those guys embrace me like I'm there every week the minute I walk in, right? And I think they're like that with everybody. But that's that's a unique thing, right, to have that thing that you sort of gather around and 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 that you're embraced in that way. I even wrote about it when I came back is that I'm pretty sure that if I got into a fight, they'd be right there with me, like right <laughs> behind me, standing behind me because that's the kind of people they are. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's the kind of people Gator nation is. And so, um, it's, it's a giant family and, and we want to embrace the head coach. We want him to be a part of the family. We want to invite him in. Part of that is sort of wallowing in the misery with us in some respects, as opposed to keeping us separated while you're, while you're, while you're going through that misery. So come on in, Dan Mullen. We're happy to have you <laughs> come commiserate with us for a week, beat the brakes off of Andy and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pump you up after that. So, uh, you know, and come I, do I it, think... and then come to it, and then and then come do a thunderstroke with us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If, if he does that before Vandy, I rescind everything that I've said. <laughs> All right, well, man, uh, what, what you got coming up? I know you, you've kind of previewed something um, this week. I don't know if you're going to get around to it or not. Of course, I know it, it's dealing with a lot of stuff that we've talked about here with with, with the headman and, and stuff we've said the, the last uh, you know, last few minutes here. Yeah, so I mean, I'll I'll have something about this because I do think that this goes beyond just the Kentucky game, and and have a few thoughts that I've probably enunciated most of them on here, but I want to sit down, write it down, have a very concrete um, response. You, you sit here and you sort of react to what you're saying and those sorts of things, and I'm not sure the thoughts always come out completely concrete, and so I'll probably have something down in there. There will be a Vanderbilt preview, and then uh, Nick and I did a stand up and holler yesterday uh, where I was probably even angrier. So if you if you want to hear angry Will as a Opposed to sort of measured well, you can go check out Stand Up and Holler over there on our YouTube channel and uh, and support us there. And like you said, I had a had a review up, and people are still reading it at a pretty pretty high rate right now. So thank you to everyone out there who's reading it. But if you want to understand sort of the the takes that I have on Mullen's conservatism, and then also some of the things I saw with Emory Jones, um, I think it's a pretty good read. That sort of will give you an outline of maybe where things are going next, and that'll probably be part of that article for Mullen. Is you know where do we go from here? Not necessarily you know because we're not giving up on the guy but we need to see some progress in certain places which is always the thing that we said about jim McElwain, right so we want to see progress we didn't see any progress with McElwain. that's one of the things that was really frustrating so if we can see some progress heading forward the rest of the year then i think um you know what are those going to be and that'll be something i'm sure i'll try to highlight all right will miles 
Find him at readreaction.com and YouTube at readreaction as well, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>